Well, thank you guys so much for the opportunity to be here today. Um, let me introduce my beautiful wife, Kimberly, and uh, my name is Craig McLean. I'm the executive pastor on staff here at Grace Church. Moment of true disclosure, we were working on this until about 11 o'clock last night. <laughs> Travis and Steph went down to Dallas. When were you guys down there? Last weekend? Okay. So this is very much a work in process. What we're going to try and get through today on communication is about two hours worth of material, and we got about 25 minutes to do it. So we'll see effective, how effective we are as communicators, okay? Uh, but first, let me go ahead and introduce our family to you. As you look at this, let me see if I can get this correct now. As you're looking from the right-hand side of the screen, the young lady sitting up on the rail is Samantha. That's our second daughter. She lives out in Seaside, Oregon. The young man in front of him is Andrew. That's our son. He's on staff here at Grace Church, 21 years old. Kimberly and myself, this picture was taken on a family trip, so that's my mom next to us. And then next to her is Bella and Jacob, the two little grandkids. Allie is our oldest daughter, and our son-in-law, Jeremy. So that's the family. In terms of us, yeah, we both grew up in Hutchinson, Minnesota. Does everybody know where Hutchinson, Minnesota is? About 60 miles straight west of here. We started dating when we were in high school. We met at a hayride. That's a whole other story for a whole other time. 41 years of marriage as we stand here today. And uh, the first 11, yeah, the last 30 have been really pretty good. But those first 11 were a little on the touchy side. So we literally got married when we were 21. Um, we come from two very different families. So as we stand here today and we're going to talk about communication, I think it's kind of fun to set that backdrop a bit. So Kimberly, in your family, how was conflict handled when you were a kid growing up? What conflict? <laughs> mm -hmm. Perfect family, right? Yeah. It, it, was, um, it was swept underneath the carpet. And my mother would go in the kitchen and breathe the words and mumble in the kitchen. And then step outside and light a cigarette up because she didn't tell anybody she yep, smoked. Pretty much. Yep. Yep. Was, were, were conflicts resolved? Did they ever come back and, and bring closure? No. Okay. Never no. mind. Um, my family, a little bit different. I'm an only kid. And my folks had, had mastered the fine art of yelling and screaming. And, and there was never a doubt. If they were in conflict with each other, we knew it. I remember as a kid about that tall, hearing them, that's it, I'm getting a divorce, I'm out of here. And as a kid that tall, you're thinking, oh my, what does that mean to me? And I remember the fear that that put into my heart. Where am I going to end up? What's going to happen? And there was never closure. They never came back together. So kind of like Kimberly's family, they didn't know how to close the loop. What happened happened, and we just moved on. We never brought closure. We never brought resolution. So as a little guy, I remember just those feelings of insecurity and what happened in that argument. And, and is today the day that they're going to get divorced? Is today the day that I'm not going to have a home to live in? So as we think about communication, it is super important that we realize it's not just us, not just my spouse. The impact we have here is certainly that little circle, but then there's these concentric circles of people that are impacted by the choices we make, the things we say, the things we don't say as we go through our lives together. Um, we're going to talk about an area uh, that can be huge 
unless we understand ourselves and our spouse, and that's communication. So as Trav said, um, this, is a, this could be an eight-week course all unto itself when we think about the art of communication and everything that, it's, that it entails. Um, certainly important, it's really critical as you're going into the marriage relationship that you learn how to communicate, how to understand each other. And in, at this phase in the relationship, it's, I'm going to say this kind of tongue-in-cheek, it's pretty easy. You think planning the wedding's hard? <laughs> Wait until you're about seven or eight years into this thing, and there's jobs, and there's debt, and there's kids, and there's braces to be thinking, and the list goes on and on and on, and the things of the world start to pull you in separate directions. And then you get to the point where we are one day, 41 years into this, the kids are gone, you're looking at, eh, I'm 62, going to be retiring in a couple of years, who's this person I've been living with all these years? It's really important that we manage the communication in the relationship. Keep the main thing the main thing. Maintain integrity and unity in that relationship. So we're going to wrap through a whole bunch of things. But when it comes to communication, why are we taking this as the first lesson, really? And why are we spending so much time on it? Famed marriage guru John Gottman said that the number one predictor of divorce is the inability to resolve conflicts. Okay, so why do we care about that? A couple's ability or inability to engage in healthy conflict resolution predicts divorce with an accuracy of 87%. 87%. If you can manage conflict and communicate effectively, think about the head start you're giving yourself in your marriage and your relationship and your family when it comes to those times of conflict and tension, if you can effectively unpack those times, the likelihood of your marriage enduring and surviving and flourishing goes up exponentially. So let's see, why is communication so challenging? The difficulty lies in learning how to care for someone enough to fully listen and understand their perspective. I spent most of my life in the marketplace as a salesperson, as a senior executive in organizations, and you learn to be a very good communicator, or at least so you think. You gotta get your point across, you gotta get the job done, you gotta accomplish those goals. I guarantee you that communication style doesn't work in the home. There was a book written several years ago by Stu Weber, it's called Tender Warrior, and Stu talks about the two types of swords that every man takes with him the stainless steel sword that he takes into the marketplace. And it's a lethal weapon, and he talks about how it reflects the light, and it's just, it's, it's built for battle. And then he talks about the sword that we as husbands and as fathers wear, and it's made of gold. It's a softer metal. It reflects the light differently. And the book really unfolds the drama that we bring into our home as men when we forget to take that stainless steel sword off and leave it at the door, and put on the golden sword as we walk into the home. It's an amusing read, but it is point on. So communication, super important. Um, for some of you, this is going to be, the stuff we're going to talk about, super obvious. 
falling off my bike easy. For some of you, you're going to kind of go, I didn't know that. That's kind of interesting. And for some of you, you're going to be completely checked out right now. You're thinking about the wedding. You're thinking about, oh, we love each other so much. This is going to be great. Well, I got news for you. You're marrying a human, not a droid, right? And the day's going to come where that human that is infallible and perfect in every way is not going to be quite so perfect. And how you learn to communicate with that human that is imperfect, just like you, is going to set the tone for the marriage, for the family, for your life together. All right, here we go. We're going to jump into these. We've got 10 mistakes that we're going to walk through. So again, these are, think of them in the context of communication mistakes. Mistake number one, believe the goal of communication is to make sure that you are heard. So in your workbooks, there's little lines in there that have been left blank. The key word on mistake number one is the word heard. And as we went through this last night, we did find that there are a couple of situations where you're given one line and there's two words. And if your spouse or significant other is an accountant, well, I won't even say any more. Um, you might have to put two words on one line, I'm just saying, Okay. I can, All right. I can flow with that. You can flow with that? Super. Um, a Bible verse that really fits well with mistake number one is Proverbs 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Stephen Covey in his Seven Habits of a Highly Successful Person talks about seeking first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of us that can learn a lot from that. The goal is mutual understanding. We can't get to mutual understanding unless we first listen and understand what is being said, what is the underlying issue. We're going to watch a short video that really starts to kind of drive this point home. So with any luck... The technology is going to work. You're going to see a video and you're going to hear the audio. In three, two, one. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Oh, come on. If you would just... Don't... 
try to see things my way. All right, guys, show of hands. Who, who are the fixers in the room? Ladies, fixers, any fixers? In our relationship, I can't tell you how many times I've rushed in with the solution before I understand the problem. The minority of the time, when I take the time to not comment on the nail, but just to understand, things go really well. That's not my natural bent. So for me, this is a hard one. I've got to work at it. But there is no progress or growth without understanding in the relationship. Mistake number two, not understanding the impact of your words and your tone. At our church, Kimberly and I have a front row seat to all types of marriage issues, including our own. You know, we bring our baggage into this as well. One thing we've learned is that small things can be the most divisive things in marriages. You always put your shoes in the wrong spot. You never pick your underwear up off the floor in the morning. The list goes on and on and on and on. But it can be the little things. How many of you have fought about something really, really dumb in your relationship? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? We've never done that, have we? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, yeah. We'll fight about that later. <laughs> We've had some incredibly stupid fights that in reality will go two or three days, and it's kind of like that Cold War, you know, we're not talking to each other. But if you were to offer us each $100 to sit down and write down what it was that we started fighting about, neither one of us could do it. You know, you get caught up in that, and you just go about being busy, and you just kind of get back to the drive and the routine. Um, so not understanding the impact of your words and your tone. Think of the word beautiful. Oh, it's just beautiful outside today. That tree is so beautiful. Versus beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Same word, tone matters. The old saying, when we were growing up, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, the truth is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can do permanent damage to a relationship. They absolutely can. The power that we have with this little organ the Lord has given us called the tongue is immense. Right? Sure. Right. Yeah, thanks. As we continue to refine this, last night our goal was, okay, what parts are you going to take? What parts am I going to take? And about 11 o'clock she said, yeah, let's just kind of wing this as we go through it. So what you're seeing here is a highly refined, scripted process. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Great, great truth to remember to take into your marriage relationship. Our words and the tone we use to deliver them matters. All right. First uh, Colossians. In Colossians 3, um, those of us who are Christians are given some non-negotiables in the way that we interact with others. If you're new to all of this spiritual stuff, I still think this truth has the ability to deeply impact your relationship in a powerful way. Colossians 3 tells us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, 
and patience, bearing, forgiving, and love. Those are just a few words, but each one of those words, if we could take those and put them into practice and really live out the meaning behind those words, I guarantee you, your marriage will be solid, will flourish, but it requires us to be willing to die to self and invest in that relationship. What you say and how you say it matters. I think that's a fill-in-the-blank question, isn't it, Kim? That's a fill-in-the-blank. That's a fill-in-the-blank question. What you say and how you say it matters. So ask yourself, better yet, ask your significant other, how's my tongue when things are not going my way? How's my tongue when we are in conflict? And now, this is not a time to elbow the person that you're sitting next to, okay? But that's the absolute, how am I doing, right? And be willing to receive that as constructive feedback. How am I doing? When our kids were little, we used to take every, I forget what day of the week it was, I think it was Saturday morning, when they got to the point where they could kind of hang on their own for an hour, we would walk down, this is when, this is how long we've been married, this is when Caribou first started, and we could go to a coffee shop, and we could just sit down, and we could talk, and that was transformative for us, but more often than not, we'd come away from that coffee time with the realization that we've been carrying something with us for some time. Something I had said that she received in a completely different way. I didn't intend it that way. But she'd been processing on it all week or vice versa. So that time for us to be able to just set back undistracted and unpack those things. Well, honey, that's not what I meant. I'm really sorry. And bring closure to those things. Or, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> As the case might be. And in that case, well, then it was the next couple of weeks that we got together. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I say, we're a work in process. Um, mistake number three, don't recognize any of your negative communication patterns. Mistake number three, don't recognize any of your negative, is the fill-in-the-blank word, patterns. Before we can experience good communication, we must address the areas where we are totally missing it. We have to look in the mirror, which can be tough to do. There are four main destructive patterns. We've all picked up on some of these over the course of our lifetime from other relationships, mom, dad, boyfriend, girlfriend, etc. We're going to describe the pattern, and then we're going to give you an exit strategy to get out of that pattern. Quick word of caution, again, this isn't the time to nudge the person sitting next to you, okay? And this would be an area, if we had more time in the context of this lesson, It'd be great to actually role play some of these things because they're so easy to fall into and they're so hard to get out of sometimes. So here we go. Negative communication pattern number one, withdrawal and avoidance. And guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this one on us in at least a weighted sense because guys typically are, are quick to vent an emotion and then we're done with it, right? And we just, we move on. I don't want to keep fighting. I love you. I she wants closure, right? She wants to wrap up every loose end that's out there. And sometimes that means we've got to be engaged well beyond the amount of time that we want to be engaged. Um, so withdrawal and avoidance, several different forms and patterns. 
unwillingness to get in or stay in important discussions. You either leave the room, shut down, fake peace, switch topics, bounce around, steer the conversation some other direction. Some of you will do this through humor. Sad thing is, this isn't funny, right? But humor is a great diversion. Others will keep opinions to yourself to keep the peace. You will suppress your anger. If that's you, be careful. That suppressed anger doesn't go away. We just neatly take it and stick it in the closet. We shut the door. And then that day comes when the latch on the door is no longer sufficient to keep all that stuff in the closet. And that door opens and all of this stuff from years, from decades, comes pouring out. And your poor spouse goes, oh my, where did all that come from? So keep a short record. Sometimes we use our busy schedule as a reason not to talk things through. And eventually these things um, become fine, or so we think, but they're really not. So the exit strategy, stop faking the peace. The wife says, I'm fine. The husband says, you say that, but you're not acting fine. Sometimes we fear the time and the energy that it's going to take to resolve conflict. But your relationship is absolutely worth it. This is something, again, that you've got to keep as a priority in your relationship. I've caught myself where Kimberly has said, you know, I'd really like to sit down and just kind of talk this through. And I'm going, but the Vikings start in seven minutes. And I know we're not going to get through this in seven minutes. <sighs> but I also know the Vikings typically aren't going to win. So <laughs> I guess it makes that a little easier. A um, couple of key points. Agree on a safe place and an environment for the person who withdraws to open up and share. Time of day matters. I tend to be a morning person. Kimberly, not so much. She becomes a Christian around noon. But she's a real night owl. This woman can go until 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. There have literally been nights where I'm getting up as she's coming to bed. I'm getting up to go to work, and she's coming to bed, wrapping up her day of work. So for me, if I come home after a full day, I have this wonderful thing called my nothing box, and I've pretty much left it all in the field. I don't have much left. If we try and resolve a big, big issue, well, she's ramping up, right? She's coming into the target zone. She's ready. I got nothing. I'm done, man. I'm tapped out. I'm empty. That's not a good time for us to sit down and try and have these conversations, is it? No. No? It just tells you, if we can make it, you can make it. Yeah. Amen to that. All right. So withdraw and avoidance, the exit strategy, stop faking the peace. Escalation, negative response to another that creates a snowball effect that leads to increased hostility and negativity. Honey, would you shut the door? Sure, I'm happy to shut the door. What else do you want me to do for you? I mean, you've had me do this, that, and the other thing. Is there anything else I can do, your highness? All I asked you to do was shut the door, right? But I've got all these things that I didn't resolve. I stuffed away, and now here they come. This is a negative response to another that creates a snowball effect that leads to increased hostility and negativity. Um, let's see. 
the tennis lobs going back and forth, the uh, sarcasm, the underhanded shots. I think you've got a sense for what we're talking about here. Um, for us, we both get super sarcastic with each other. The jabs get worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You weren't that way the first 10 years, 15 years of our marriage. You've refined that art. I'd like to say I've taught you how. I've learned from the best. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think I passed that gift on to you. Uh-huh. Another great principle here is from Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle word, turn, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Escalation two exit strategy, slow down. Avoid the urge to blurt out and belittle one another. Um, go further, okay. I'm watching the time, I'm watching this, we're gonna keep moving on. Um, negative interpretation, so the, the next pattern, negative interpretation, believe the motive of the other person to be more negative than really is the case. Husband says, what's for dinner? Wife hears, is it gonna be as bad as it was last night? Wife says, what time are you gonna be home? Husband hears, are you gonna be late again? Right? And we don't clarify, we just assume based on negative patterns that we've become accustomed to in our relationship. The exit strategy, believe the best, don't assume the worst. Believe the best, don't assume the worst. Go back to these days before you're married, right? Mm -hmm. You're believing the best in this person. And there comes this point where all of a sudden you start to assume the worst. That's selfishness. It's so all the things we've already talked about. That unwillingness to listen, that unwillingness to invest. So assume the best. Ask for clarification if you doubt. 1 Corinthians 13.7 says, love believes all things. Be really honest in sharing your areas of insecurity. The sooner you can be fully known, the sooner you can be loved more fully. Be aware of these insecurities in another. Don't assume you know what your spouse is thinking, ask. We found that if we are not connecting well and if we're not investing in our relationship, we'll easily go negative with each other. The more we can do on the front end to invest in each other, we love to travel, simple road trip, trip to Hawaii, wherever we're going, the more we can invest in our relationship, put all of the craziness of life behind us and go for a hike. And just take that time to sit down, have a lunch, look at God's creation, and talk. Things go really well when we're making those investments. When we don't, when we're in those marathon, got to run, got to run, got to go. We do that well, but it depletes us over time. And if we're not careful, we get to those times, and, and we're empty. We're really empty. And we've stored some things up, right? that are hindering our relationship. So the exit strategy, believe the best, don't assume the worst. Negative communication pattern number four, invalidation. Subtle, indirect put-downs of the thoughts, feelings, or character of another, especially manifested in someone always having to be right or validating self. Statements like, you shouldn't feel that way. You're overreacting, drama queen, huh? Come on, slow your roll, it's not that bad. 
that can be really invalidating, hurtful, harmful to the relationship. Long term, they can also shut your spouse down, hurting communication and intimacy. When we set that pattern, and my spouse has something, Kimberly has something she wants to share with me, but she knows it's not a safe place. She knows she's going to get just verbally shunned, pushed away. She's not going to go there. Now she's building those things up. So the exit strategy, respect one another. Acknowledge your partner's viewpoint. Go back to the nail on the forehead example. Right? It's not about the nail, stupid. I'm not here to solve the problem. She just wants to talk about this throbbing pain she has in her forehead and why her sweaters are all snagged. Don't rush to a solution. Uh, let's see. Another passage that fits nicely there, Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Is what I'm about to say going to build my partner up? This is the filter that everything we say should go through. This isn't in your material, but this is one of the things we have found to be super, super helpful in our family and in our home, especially as we were raising our kids. As you get into those kid years, you'll find that there's nothing siblings love more than to tattle on their siblings, right? So we instituted the truth or the think principle with our kids. Before you speak, you have to think. Is what I'm about to say true? Is it helpful? Is it important? Is it necessary? And is it kind? We should, and unless, have, we should have done this in our first 11 years. We should have, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Unless I can check all five of those boxes, there's probably no reason for me to say what I'm about to say. If what I'm going to say isn't true, if it isn't helpful, if it isn't important, if it isn't necessary, and if it isn't kind, I've really got to have a gut check and say, why am I going there? And inevitably, if you use that map and you still feel compelled to press on, you'll, if you're honest with yourself, you'll find the reason you're going to say what you're going to say is more about you feeling better after you've said it than the message that you're trying to convey, the problem you're trying to address. Mistake number four, assume you are healthy because you don't fight. Our marriage is perfect. We've never had a fight. Mm-hmm, sure. Fighting doesn't have to mean yelling or screaming. You'll be disappointed, hurt, and frustrated with each other if you believe that. When two self-absorbed people get married, there will be some disagreements. You are all self-absorbed. I'm sorry. It's the way God has created us. Well, God didn't create us that way, but it's the sin condition that is within us. We are all self-absorbed. In a fallen world, the reality is that all marriage, dating, engaged couples will have conflict. It's inevitable, and it should be expected. Some of you don't have conflict because you don't communicate well. Ooh. And you're passing those things down the road. You're tucking them away. That's going to become a problem down the road. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Romans 12, 18 is a great place to hang your hat. Fighting is not a matter of if, but when. 
It's normal to have conflict, but this does not mean it's okay to scream and yell. But it's normal, and it's healthy to disagree. The goal is to reframe the way we looked at, con at conflict. And this passage in Romans is a great way to think about that. Conflict is an opportunity. Your difficulties with your difference is, is not an interpretation of his plan. They are part of his plan. Paul Tripp, I don't know if anybody's read anything written by Paul Tripp, but he's a brilliant author, teacher, speaker. Don't see conflict as a roadblock. See conflict as an opportunity for growth and an opportunity to glorify God. Conflict is an effective instrument of change. And it can be change for the better. It can be change for the really good. Mistake number five. I'm dying here. I got 27, 27 minutes into this, and I'm on mistake five. I got five more mistakes to go, Trav. I am such a loser. I'm sorry. Um, mistake number five. Assume conflict ends when you say, I'm sorry. It's over for me. Honey, I'm sorry. Let's move on. Let's go for a bike ride. Want to go to dinner tonight? Yeah. Mistake number five, assume conflict ends when you say I'm sorry. It's important to say I'm sorry, but be more specific. Think back to when you were a kid. Sometimes I'm sorry was just lip service. And the sad part is that some of us still have that bad habit. Do you really mean what you're saying when you say I'm sorry? Colossians 3, 12 through 13, put on then. As God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I think we could have probably touched on the entire topic of communication, Trav, by showing that passage, huh? Pretty much says it all. Ask for forgiveness. Fill in the blank, the word forgiveness. Don't just say I'm sorry. The requirement for humility is to ask for forgiveness. We don't just need to agree that we did what we did is wrong. We need to ask to be released from what we did, from the hurt and the pain that we have caused. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we forget. Forgiveness is ongoing and active, fill in the blank. Trust takes time to rebuild. Couples who thrive are those who forgive and don't harbor resentment. We've really experienced this in our lives. And it takes a long time, once trust is broken, to rebuild those bonds. And you've got to be patient. You've got to be willing to do the hard work there. We're broken people. We hurt other people. Hurting people hurt people. So when you hurt someone, you've got to be sensitive to that and realize it's going to take time to rebuild those bridges. Mistake number six, blame your spouse as the main reason that you fight. If you would just stop doing that, we would not be fighting. Hmm, never heard that from anybody, right? Um, this has been an issue since the beginning. Adam? It was that woman that you gave me, right? It was her fault. From the beginning, this has been an issue. James 4, 1 through 2 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, 
that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The reason we fight is because we are selfish. Fill in the blank. It's not circumstances. It's that we are selfish. You are your biggest marriage problem. The sooner we realize that, the better. Things aren't the way you want them to be in your relationship. It isn't that perfect person that was there during the engagement and that beautiful wedding. It's the person with inside you. In marriage, the good of the relationship should always take precedence over the immediate need of the individual. I'd feel so much better if I just said this. Boy, be careful when your mind starts going down those paths. Mistake number seven, avoid structure when conflicting. It's kind of a poorly phrased sentence. When fighting? Yes. Arguing? Fighting is the word, yep. The mistake is that we don't structure it, right? We don't have any framework for fighting, arguing, conflicting. Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. So we're going to talk a little bit about some rules here. Rules for the speaker, rules for the listener, and rules for the couple. And again, this would be one of those areas that we would role play this. I do have to take 15 seconds, though, and tell you a funny story. When we were young Christians, we were going to a church in Chicago, Illinois. Our kiddos were little. And we were in a communications class, a marriage class with Dave and Bobby Bucknam. And they asked us right before the class if we would role play conflict in front of 100 plus people, I suppose. Uh -huh. And they had created this thing. They called it a talking stick. And it was a McDonald's beanie baby on a little fishing pole. And whoever had the McDonald's beanie baby was the talker. It was Goldie. Yeah, Goldie, that's right. Yeah. And the other person had to be the active listener. So when you had that fishing pole, you could speak what was on your mind. And the other person had to listen and paraphrase and so on and so forth. And we said, sure, we'd be happy to do that. We and they said, we'll that. just pick a topic, you know, recent conflict. We got into the biggest fight in front of 100 plus people <laughs> during this marriage conference. Just hysterical. So don't underestimate, don't underestimate the power of this, even though it sounds kind of mechanical and kind of kludgy when you're going through it, it becomes a little bit more natural as you practice it. So for the speaker, um, the rules for the speaker, speak for yourself, don't mind read, well, I think you ought, no, speak for yourself, I feel, I've observed, speak in short phrases, stop often, and let the listener paraphrase what you've said. Rules for the listener. You want to do those? Sure. Okay. The listener paraphrases what you hear. Don't refute, meaning do not argue back. Just, just repeat what you heard. The facts, only the facts. <laughs> Focus on what the speaker is saying. And for both... Speaker has the floor. Speaker keeps the floor during the paraphrasing. Share the floor. Sounds like I say really contrived. Real Over time, the process becomes much more natural. 
it, it really, I wish we had time to walk through this in a couple of examples, because it is, it, it is awkward. There's no other way to describe it. So what I think I heard you say, well, no, what I really meant to say, well, now what I think I heard you clarify, well, drive when, you nuts, right? When, I got you do to the, do. when you do this, I feel that. Yeah, right, exactly. Basic counseling, right? Yeah, okay. But super, super helpful. Um, you've got to practice it. Start with easy topics. Go back to some of the past conflicts that, you've been res that have been resolved and try to hash them out. Could be something that maybe, if you're willing to risk it to get the biscuit here on a date night, we could go out and take one of those past conflicts and just run it through the process. Probably a 50-50 chance. The date night will end well and you'll still love <laughs> each other. So. Mistake number eight. Don't ever take a time out. We're going to grind through this until we get this resolved. That's a problem. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That was a confusing one for us when we first became Christians. Because our first 11 years, we weren't Christ followers. And then we hear this thing that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Man, were we tired. <laughs> Just saying. What we understood was, okay, so we can go to sleep. Don't let the sun go down on our conflict. We might still be angry. But don't let that conflict go away. Come back to it. Don't just stuff the conflict. You've got to resolve the conflict. And that's the key to this, this, this session and that passage. The sun can go down in the conflict, but not in your anger. Be prepared to talk when the timing is better. Because don't be hungry during this time. Don't be angry. So combine that. Don't be hangry. Okay? <laughs> don't be late. Don't do this while one of his driving. And don't be tired. Okay? You need your sleep and your rest. So it's the basics. Drink your water, eat your fruits and vegetables. Never mind, that's something else. Okay. You're cured for everything that goes wrong. So in our relationship, there's about seven minutes out of any given day that it's really good for us to try and resolve <laughs> conflicts. Is kind of what that boils down to. Uh -huh. uh, rules for timeout. Honor the request. Seek God during the timeout. The one who calls the timeout proposes the time to start again. This felt really weird to us as well. Probably more to me than to Kimberly because I'm the completer. We're going to finish this. Honey, I'm just, I'm empty. You know, I'm hungry, I'm tired. Can we just table this? Can we come back to this tomorrow? Boy, that's like a glass wall, right? I'm running as fast as I can, and boom, I hit that wall. But it's really a good thing when you learn how to honor that timeout. You can kind of de-escalate, take the anger out, come back to the core of what was the issue, and now we can work through it together in a productive way. Mistake number nine, we're getting there, two to go. Forget that timing and environment matter. Environment matter. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Sometimes the best thing we can do in the moment is hold our tongue. Bite our tongue. Bite our tongue harder. The flesh has got, boy, we got the clever zinger. We're ready to go. Bite your tongue. Bite your tongue. Another way to put this for the golfers in the crowd, timing and club selection really matters when it comes to conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. Telling someone the truth is never optional. The method and the timing are always optional. Telling someone the truth is never optional. Method and timing is always optional. Yeah. You want to take 10? So mistake number 10, never ever ask for help. <laughs> mm -hmm. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two others along with you, that every, that every change may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Well, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Hmm. If stuck, bring others in. 
sin tends to bind us. Guess who gets binded first? It's me. It's absolutely me. I'm bound. I'm blinded. I'm, I'm caught up in my own self. Human beings need true life from time to time. I've got two guys in my life that I can pick up the phone and call any day of the week, any time of the day. One of them, Dave, lives in Florida. And when I call Dave, he's got a list of questions that he goes through with me every time I call him. And the last question that he asks me is if I've just lied to him about any of the answers that I've given to him in the questions that I've just answered. That sets a tone for a relationship. But I've called Dave, I don't know how many times in our lives, where I'm wrapped up in something and I can't break out. And I can call him and tell him what's going on. And he'll just put a smile on my face. We had them over to our house when our kids were little. And I just met Dave. And, you know, you want everything to be just right. And I'm kind of the perfectionist in, in our family. And uh, we had our pretty little girls all dressed up. The table was set. Everything was just beautiful. And one of our girls knocked a glass of water over. The water went running across the table. And I'm like, Ugh. and Dave started to laugh. And he said, honey, you spilled that better than I've ever seen somebody spill. That is amazing. You've got one less spill to worry about in your life. Well done. Well, that's kind of a neat approach. So find that person that you can talk to. And that is it. And again, wish we had more time because there's so much more underneath the hood here. I think the closing, as you go into this relationship again, you're broken. You're flawed. It's the condition of the world from the beginning of mankind. So don't assume that everything is going to be peaches and cream. Communication is at the center of so much of the issue in a relationship. So the better you can become at communicating with each other, communicating with yourself, and communicating with the Lord, the more robust and fruitful and joy-filled your marriage is going to be. So blessings to each of you. Draft, thanks for the time to be able to do this today.